Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So we're, we're in a Jesus series, the Jesus series, right? Where we're taking a look at Jesus and, and people's encounters with him and how they responded to who he was and what he taught and how he interacted. Um, we're looking at different encounters. Some people... Uh, accepted and received the invitation that Jesus had for them, and some people kind of pushed him away. This morning, we're going to take a surprising look. It's, um, we're actually going to talk about King Herod, which is not a very typical Christmas series um, sermon. But, and I was, I was actually getting ready this morning to talk and teach on the Magi, the wise men, right? And in study, and I just felt like we, we need to shine some light on Herod. And what's going on? Because Herod encounters Jesus, but he doesn't receive him. And I want to look at that and dig into that and let Jesus shine in the middle of that darkness. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read all of Matthew 2 this morning. And I want to put it in context, right? We get the story of Jesus' birth. We get the story of the wise men or the magi, the kingmakers that uh, see a star in the east and they come traveling and they're looking for Jesus and they meet him and they ask Herod what's going on and he doesn't know what's going on and then kind of uh, chaos erupts in the middle of the Christmas story. So I want to read that and then I want to unpack that together. So Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, Search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and there remain until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod 
when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or younger, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Oh my goodness. There is so much going on in this story. If you want to talk about the wise men from the East and how they're from a different religion and yet find themselves uh, falling um, before the crib, the manger, and worshiping baby Jesus, the king sent from God, like unexpected worshipers. If you want to go in a different direction and talk about, look how many times in this chapter God shows up in dreams where unexpectedly God just shows up and says, ho, 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 ho. You need to go in a different direction. Come here. I want, to pro- I want to provide protection for you. You need to get out of this situation. Now it's time to go back. Now it's time to go here. How many times God was showing up in dreams with Joseph and the Magi and just all different people who were looking to follow him, and then the way that they listened, the way that they allowed themselves to be led by God and follow him. There's so many different cool themes. But Matthew starts out on purpose. He's painting a scene for us. He wants to just show, he wants to show us the world that Jesus came to. And so it's a very dark world that Jesus, the light, is arriving in, right? And so Matthew 2 verse 1 says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. I want to talk about that. Before I do, I'm going to jump back. It's Christmas season, right? You guys ever get like cool presents from your aunt. Like I, this is one of mine. I got this last year. I pulled it out and I'm like I'm kind of into flashlights and stuff. Like I love collecting flashlights. I like but when I pulled this one I was like, "Oh boy, you guys want to see it in action?" Like watch this. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. This is fantastic. Anybody? Right? The wise men had <laughs> That is the most fun I've had in a long time. <laughs> it sure lights up, right? It lights up in the back, too. Yeah, it's got like, uh, I got brake lights going on. Oh, I feel super safe with this light. Um, I'm playing, say again. It, <laughs> um, I've been working on that feature. Right? Got some computer programmers working on it. Um, <laughs> Not really. Sorry, I lied there. Um, that was really fun. What do you do with this light? What do you, what do you use this for? He just has a monster. Um, 
you can use it to shovel and like and dark. You know, it really lights up the driveway and stuff like that. Um, if you're searching for really small things in dark and hidden places, it like it lights it up, right? It is a it is a blowtorch of a headlamp. Okay, so I was I was thinking about it. Years and years ago, like 20 years ago, I was interning in Colorado with a youth group and talking about Jesus as light and us as light. And I took out a flashlight in the youth group room. It was um, kind of lit sort of like this. And it was nowhere near as buff as this light, right? So I turned it on and I said, how, how well can you see this light? And they're like, meh, kind of boring. I said, good, remember this. And then we loaded up in the cars and we drove into the foothills of Fort Collins, Colorado, up on a ridge overlooking Fort Collins. And it was uh, around sunset, and so we could watch the lights of the city come on and start to uh, light up here and there and there. And then I turned on the flashlight again and said, what do you notice now about the light? They said, oh, it's so much brighter. Like, the light's actually the same, right? Nothing changed about the light. It's just that light shows up more in dark places. It's way more visible in dark places than if you're just in a well-lit space and you light it up. I mean, you can tell that it's on sometimes, sometimes not. And then we looked out at the city and we're like, look at all the lights coming on. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. But then he calls us the light of the world. Like, imagine yourself in this city as little lights or big lights coming on in dark places and how... We're, if we're light, and Jesus calls us light, we're called to go into those spaces, and we're called to light it up. It's not cool if all the light just clusters in one space, right? Like, it's needed everywhere, so let's go light it up. And uh, they didn't, like, jump inappropriately on that phrase, um, but they, it, it was kind of an inspiring moment to say, oh, that's, that's what Jesus calls us to do. We're called to be light in dark places. So Matthew is painting a dark place. He's showing us this is a dark, dark world that the light is coming to. Herod, uh, I told you as I was studying this, just felt like we needed to shine some light on who he is, who he was. Super complex guy. So I'm studying him Ethnically, Herod is an Arab, but his people had been kind of uh, overcome by the Jews, and so he grew up actually as a Jew. So he's ethnically Arab, but he's religiously Jewish. They were under Roman rule, and he had a Greek name. There's lots of different things going on. So you could say ethnically Arab, religiously Jewish, politically Roman, culturally Greek. There's complexity going on in this guy. Now, his father was a friend of Caesar, and because of that close connection, Herod was given a spot of influence in the Roman government, and then um, it, he grew in that, so he gained more and more worldly power. Now, while serving, uh, there had been a revolt in the land by the Jewish people, and he went to Rome to plead that Rome would take control again. And Rome so liked his allegiance to them that they gave him the position of king of the Jews. And so Herod ruled over 
the Jewish people on behalf of the reigning government of Rome. He had some impressive architectural feats. On the top of the list, including the expansion of the second temple. So King Solomon in the Old Testament had built a temple, and it was like the days of glory in the nation. People could come and they could worship, and they had been so long traveling with God, following God, and setting up a tent and worshiping there, and then going to a different place and setting up there. And they thought if we could just have a permanent place where we could worship, we would feel like we have arrived. And I don't know that they totally hit the mark in that. But that temple got destroyed. And then a a second temple, a kind of a modest temple, was raised up and built in that same spot. And when Herod took over, Herod was all about trying to impress people. And he expanded the second temple so that it was beautiful. It was glorious. It was impressive. His number one architectural feat. But his motive was interesting. The people in Solomon's day had built the temple so they could worship God. They felt like that would be a place where we could worship God. It wasn't for personal glory. Even if I think they were a little bit off the mark, their motivation was to bring God glory. Herod, his motivation was so that he could have a capital city worthy of his dignity and grandeur. So for whose glory did Herod expand the temple? For Herod's glory. He wanted to gain support from the Jews, too, by doing it. Look how much I've done for you. You should follow me, right? Look how much I've provided. You should trust me, or you should submit to my rule. But uh, interesting doesn't quite cut it when we start to talk about uh, Herod. He very much wanted to protect himself. He very much wanted to stay safe uh, and to keep growing and accumulating power to keep climbing. Pretty, pretty paranoid dude. He perceived both real and false threats to his kingship. He actually, it's talked about, employed a secret police to listen to the public to hear what they thought of him. He'd squash protests and he'd remove opponents by force. This man had sons killed his own sons, because he thought they were a threat. Like, oh, if they kill me, then they'll be king. I'm going to kill them first. And so he killed his sons. He killed wives because he thought they were aligning themselves uh, in other places. And his last order, uh, as written down in history books, his last order was to command his troops to arrest thousands of socially important people from across the country and sequester them in the stadium at Jericho so that upon his death, they would be executed so that there would, in his words, be mourning in the land when the king died. Thankfully, the order never got carried out. So when Herod, who has been called the king of the Jews, receives these guests, the wise men from the east, And they ask for the whereabouts of who? The newborn king of the Jews. Do you sense the conflict coming? Super paranoid, self-protecting, greedy, uh, powerful ruler who kills threats to his kingship. 
is asked, where's the newborn king? He is not going to like, he doesn't like that question, and he likes even less the answer, because he doesn't know. This is a surprise to him. And so he has to go to people. There's like a, a stir of restlessness. Wait, what's going on? People are not expecting these guests. People are not looking for them. And then there's that question, where's the king? We want to worship him. And he's like, oh, we have to find him. And so he receives them. He, he has to go find out the whereabouts of the king. He freaks out. He actually wants Jesus dead. And then when his plan fails, he's like, you go find him, worship him, and come tell me where he is so that I can go worship him too, right? They're like, nah, actually, God, who we didn't know before, like God showed up in a dream and told us not to go back to him. Talk about, like, God showing up to unbelievers. And like, that, that was an incredible encounter, I can only imagine. He says, oh, we need to go a different way. Herod is not planning good things. He goes crazy. He goes absolutely nuts. Okay, well, if they won't point out the one, I'm going to go for all of them. And Herod actually succeeds in going and wiping out all the boys two years old or younger, except for God's protection and provision for Jesus. He says, you got to get out of here. Disaster is coming. You have got to leave and flee to Egypt. Matthew is saying, the world that Jesus is born into is a dark, dark world. But remember the light. Remember the light. Whether it's a headlamp that shines or a bunch of kids looking over a city and saying, we are the light. Our God is light. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness can try to advance. Darkness can try and uh, steal the life away. Darkness can do a lot of damage, but darkness cannot overcome light. God is our provider, and he is our protector, and nothing is stopping his rescue mission. He shines even in the darkest of times. And so when you get into the encounter between Herod and Jesus, you actually start to see there's a tale of two kings that Matthew is telling here. You have the King Herod, and you have King Jesus. And Matthew is showing us the stark contrast. Herod is a self-protecting, greedy, arrogant, paranoid, angry, narcissistic, willing to take others' lives if it meant protecting his kind of king. That's the earthly king that Matthew shows us. And Jesus, Jesus is none of that. Where Herod is self-protecting, Jesus is self-giving. Where Herod is greedy, Jesus is generous. Where Herod is uh, arrogant, Jesus is humble. Where Herod is afraid, Jesus is fearless. Where Herod is paranoid, Jesus continually is at peace and gives peace to others. Where Herod is angry, Jesus is uh, constantly compassionate. Where Herod is narcissistic, Jesus is empathetic. He feels others rather than just looking at himself. Where Herod is willing to take others' lives if it meant protecting his, Jesus is willing to give his life if it meant saving others. We have an earthly king in Herod 
And in Jesus, we have the king of heaven and earth. I love the tale of two kings. So here's the question. I'm just going to keep it short this morning. Who is your king? Who is your king? Who do you bow to? Whose approval matters to you? Herod is constantly seeking approval for others, pushing others down, and will take, and will take, and will take. And Jesus is constantly giving. You get the sense that people would never really gain the approval of Herod, right? Because he's only out for himself. So he'd approve as long as it was good for him. And then as soon as they did something that, you know, like, didn't quite live up to who he was or what he wanted, he'd immediately remove the approval, yank it away, and condemn them. And then there's Jesus, who we don't do a thing to get his approval, and he just keeps giving it. We do everything that we can to mess it up, (laughs) and he's still giving his approval. Over and over and over, Jesus is just generous in saying, I love you, I give you my favor. I don't just give you my favor. I give you a piece of me. You get to have my identity. You get to have my spirit living within you. You will never, ever, ever, ever have to doubt my approval of you in Christ. That is such good news. In a dark world where we're constantly fighting, people are constantly fighting to rise. Jesus says, don't worry about that. I already did. And you can have it. You can have it. Right? There's a tale of two kings. We worship King Jesus. We worship King Jesus. He's a life giver. And he gives joy. And we have it in him. And we have his approval. We don't have to go searching for it. So who is your king? Like, remind yourself of that all the time. And then who are you imitating? We want to be like our king. We want to grow up and be transformed and let him do his work. We want to grow more and more and more in the image of our king. You have an enemy who wants to deceive you into thinking that you need to be like Herod. The world will tell you, you need to protect yourself at all costs. Climb over others to climb the ladder. Always be looking over your shoulder for someone who might stab you in the back. But with Jesus as our king and the Holy Spirit living within, walking with us, guiding us through everything, we don't have to give in to that. The temptation is there, but we don't have to give in. We don't have to live like that. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. It's, uh, it kind of echoes the tale of two kings. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Can you see that in Herod? You see all kinds of selfish ambition and conceit. He says, don't, we don't live that way. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Herod's constantly trying to rise, and Jesus says, I'm going to try and go low. 
I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come down. I'm not going to grasp my throne. It's mine. I don't have to cling to it. I can get off it so that I can give myself for others. And that's what we have, right? We don't have to cling. We already have everything we need. And so we can humble ourselves and we can look to others good, knowing that we're already taken care of. We don't have to fear that. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, be imitators of God. Like, we want to be like our king. Imitate God. Everybody imitates somebody. Constantly be reminding yourself, I want to imitate God. I want to imitate my king. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And how do we do that? He said, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so there's that question. Who is your king? If you have never come to a point of recognizing Jesus as your king, if you're just kind of walking through life, uh, and, and it feels, if you're honest with yourself, like a little bit lost, and you've never declared allegiance to the king, you've never recognized the king's great love for you, power that gives, power that fills, instead of power that uh, dries you out. If you have never aligned yourself with Jesus and then received him, let that be today. Let that be today where you actually switch kingdoms. You actually recognize, oh, I've been living just in the kingdom of the world. I want to I change my allegiance. I want King Jesus. I want his kingdom. And so rather than me trying to build my own kingdom up, I get to advance the king's kingdom. I get to advance Jesus' kingdom. Now I'm an ambassador. Now I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I get to go and tell people about my king, who is my father, who loves greatly and won't ever quit. If that's you this morning, if you say, I'm tired, I'm tired of trying to build my own kingdom. I want to recognize Jesus. Like, I would love for you to receive that today. I would love for you to say, that's me. If that's you, find somebody today. Talk to them and say, help, help me with this. Don't make it just a private thing, but like bring somebody into that. Receive Jesus today. If you know Jesus as your king, then be encouraged. Like the darkness doesn't win. You have been given a light. We serve the light and we have the light within. And just as Jesus shines in a dark, dark world, so do we, right? Christmas is a time where we celebrate Jesus coming. We get to share that. We get to share that. You pick up a card and invite somebody to Christmas Eve service to come and gather to be able to share the story together. That's an invitation that's just ripe. If you can invite people into your homes or uh, in family gatherings, just be reminded, I'm bringing the light wherever I go. I'm shining for Jesus wherever I go. And be mindful of that. When you know the power that you have, you're able to like tap into it. It's just like if I have this light and I never recognize it or I never use it, then I don't ever get to blind you guys with it. That's just no fun. So use what you've been given and shine it brightly. You can't fail in shining light. The darkness can't win. 
If you say Jesus is my king, then I'm going to suggest that our response is kind of threefold. Jesus is my king, and so I worship him. I worship him all the time. The Magi, uh, the wise men, came from a distant land, from a distant religion. But when they encountered Jesus, they fell down and worshiped him. That's a response to us encountering the king. That's our response too. We worship him. The second response is we follow him. We imitate him. We look to grow in him, right? We want to look at Jesus and recognize what he's given us and say, may our lives be marked by humility and compassion and light because I'm no longer seeking to build my own kingdom. I want to advance his. So we worship him, we follow him, and then third is we shine light. Like I'll always remember that time on the ridge with students looking over the city, watching the lights go on. It's true for us today. And I'm reminded over and over and over, Jesus in eight, uh, John 8, 12, calling himself the light of the world. And then Jesus in Matthew 5, 14, giving that to us as well, giving us a piece of his identity, saying, you are the light of the world. He gives us his identity. We carry the authority of the king. As carriers of light, we're called to shine. Who in your life needs the light? Who in your life needs you to shine for them? Shine Jesus for them. Christmas is the kingdom of God breaking into our world. And so we worship and we follow and we shine for him. Let's pray. Father, in a tale of two kingdoms, we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for your character, for your love, for your selflessness, for your generosity, for your joy. And you, that you just give that, that you give favor and you give, um, you give love and you give light. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of that. And right now, Jesus, right now in this space, I just want to ask if you are tapping on someone's door today to say, come on over change kingdoms, follow me. I pray that right now, even in this space, that they would open up, that they would recognize you. They would uh, receive you as their king. Let you wash over them in all the forgiveness that you have, that they would cease striving for themselves and receive all of who you are and what you have for them. Change kingdoms to follow the true king. And so, Jesus, we worship you, and we follow you, and we shine for you. May the light that you've put inside us shine brightly in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so...